Well, hello, friends. Welcome to Bishop and Moose. I'm Barry Klingen. This is Kirk Moose. We're here to encourage you with the Word of God this evening. And guys, we're so glad that you've joined us this evening. We're really excited about what we're about to jump into, but before we do that, if you like the content that we've been putting out, please hit the like button so that you can get notifications, but don't forget to hit that notification bell so that every time we publish new content that you'll be notified. But this evening, we're going to be talking about the fragrances of God, and if you stick with us long enough, you're going to find out how you can discover the fragrances of God so that you can have it prevalent in your life as well. Kirk, in the uh, Bible, uh, David said it really well. He said, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and uh, God made us in his image, and he made us as human beings to have five senses yep. to be able to relate to the world that is around us, and they're amazing. All five have such amazing detail about it, and uh, we're going to talk about the sense of smell tonight. Scientists have just recently learned that uh, deep in our nasal cavity are nerve receptors that can distinguish between nine trillion different Ooh. scents. That's a lot of different smells. I don't know if I can uh, pick out that many, but it says I'm equipped to be able to do that. And here's what's amazing they're doing today. They're learning so much about the smell that they, they learn that each individual, this is kind of funny, each individual has a unique smell an odor, not a, hopefully a bad odor, but a, a smell to each individual that's as unique as your thumbprint, even your DNA. So they've developed or are developing machines that will be able to just smell you and you'll have your unique digital, your unique individual, I should say, uh, uh, footprint there uh, located in that place. So uh, there's just all kinds of things that they're learning about that. But uh, we leave all that to the olfactory geniuses who study all this stuff and teach us about that. What we want to talk about is spiritual fragrance tonight because the Bible has so much to say about aroma and the fragrance of Christ and how we are to be adorned with it uh, in our life. There's a great passage of scripture that we looked at once before and talked about how uh, we have uh, died a self to live for Christ. Paul gave this great imagery of being led as a uh, like a Roman general who had conquered a province is bringing the king and the rebellious people into Rome. We are that person. But he says in the middle of that, we are uh, releasing a fragrance here. He said, he said uh, we, we diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved and among those who are per perishing. To one were the aroma of life, to the other the aroma of death. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. So he's talking about this, this aroma in our life, this, this smell that we give off. Now we know that in the context of what he was talking about here, he was talking about uh, the, the general, the conquering general coming back to Rome and the people would light incense along the way. And even they would burn incense in Jupiter's temple for the conquering Roman general as he came back. And so there'd be this smell that was being released uh, uh, among the people around that they would feel that day. Now it's interesting that that aroma meant something different to the two different people that were there. To the people that were gathered and cheering their conquering general back home, the general and his soldiers, it was a good smell because it meant we had victory, we won. 
But to the ones that were conquered in the back, they were looking to an execution that was about to come. And so it was not necessarily positive. And so he's saying in this passage that we actually give off a smell like that as well. You know, it's kind of kind of like, you know, one thing but has two different results. And, you know, Billy Graham used to always say the, the sun is a sun that can, uh, you know, melt the butter or harden the clay. You know, and it's the same sun, same rays, but it produces a different effect in what it's what it's touching. Well, the same thing with these smells that he's in talking about in here uh, as well. These uh, uh, these this aroma that we have, and uh, we got several things we can you know talk about in here uh, about the aroma and about the fragrance of Christ and how many times it's mentioned uh, uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, oh, yeah. for us here. So there's some really, really good things in here to understand about it, especially in this passage where he's talking about that uh, uh, aroma. Is there some things that come to your mind uh, from the Bible when it starts talking about that smell of Christ in us? What, what do you think that is when he just says the aroma of or the, the fragrance of Christ we diffuse outwardly? What? The first thing that comes to my mind is the dying to self. Mm-hmm. And as we die to self, we by nature draw nearer to God. The word says that as we draw near to him, he will draw nearer to us. And when that happens, and the next thing that comes to my mind, I guess you can't really, I can't even go into it without mentioning, it's just like Moses, when he would go into the tent of meeting, Mm -hmm. and he would go and meet like man meets face to face, he met with God. And when he would come out, he would be so radiant, he'd have to put a veil on. Yes. Well, when you and I draw mm-hmm. nearer to the Lord, it's just like Moses going into that tent of meeting and being so close that when we come out of that presence of the Lord, we are left with an imprint of Him. Moses with a radiance, us with a scent or a dripping of His anointing. That, you know, that in the Old Testament, the anointing oil, the actual ingredients of the anointing oil are given in Scripture and uh you know, when you put them all together, there there had to be kind of a uh, a cinnamon, uh, you know, kind of a strong biting smell, good smell, a sweet smell that was a part of that. We find that this happening, you know, all uh, uh, along the way. It's a it's a you know important thing that's uh, used throughout scriptures and talking about that. When he says the fragrance of Christ here, I want to just take a moment and kind of explore uh, some some fragrances. Uh, that are a part of that and how, how that becomes a reality. It sounds kind of, you know, out there, not practical, but I want you to see how practical it is and how it makes a difference, not just how we smell to those yep. who are in the world, but to God himself. And uh, I pull some illustrations out from, from the Bible. There's uh, a story that's probably more well-known than any other story in the Bible is uh, three Hebrew children that had been taken to uh, Babylon in captivity under Nebuchadnezzar and uh, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, uh, you know, early on, it's all, all this story is found in Daniel 3, and there's just pages of it, or verses and verses. A great story here. But, you know, the, uh, the king got all caught up in himself and said, we're going to make an image. Everybody's got to bow down to this. And, and uh, you know, three Hebrew children had a little problem with that. They said, we can't do that. You That's know, right. Our God is our God. We can't bow down to your God. And so, you know, with some people working around the king, got them in trouble, the word came, hey, we got some Jewish people that we've conquered and brought in, and they're not doing what you told them to do. And they got the king all riled up. So the king says, bring them here. And they, you know, you know the story. It's a beautiful story. They built a huge furnace, and it was so hot 
that the men that were stoking the fire in this furnace were uh, dying. Some of them died just being there to try to keep the flame really hot. So finally they bring those three Hebrew children and they say, uh, King, we love you. We're glad to be here, but we're not going to bow down to your God. And our God, he can choose to save and deliver us, but even if he doesn't, do it the way of delivering us in this moment. Even if this is going to be our exit from this world, we will not bow down to your your idols. And so the king's infuriated. He has the guys throw them in. And then there's just this amazing Old Testament scene. This is long before Christ was born. Oh, yeah. you know. And in the Old Testament, the, the king is looking into the fire. He said, did we not throw three men into the fire? And the guys say, yes. He said, well, then why do I see a fourth man in the fire? Wow, isn't it amazing? Jesus in a pre-incarnate revelation came and joined them in the midst of that fire. And you know the story. They were delivered out of the fire. He said, bring them out. They're still alive. Bring them out. And they came out. And, of course, you know, God had chosen miraculously to deliver them in the midst of this flame. And uh, there's a a verse at the end of Daniel 3.27, because all the counselors of the king, all of his advisors, all of his cabinet were gathered to watch this thing. And they were all amazed. And here's what they said. They could not understand these men whose bodies the fire had no power over. Now, what's all this got to do with smell? Listen, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Now, think about that just a minute. I have a fire pit in my backyard, and I love to go out in my fire pit, especially when it's a little cooler in Texas here, and uh, build me a fire, just sit outside and enjoy that. But I've learned something when I do that. When I come in the house, my wife makes me take all the clothes and put them in the washer, and go take a shower because that smell of smoke gets in your hair. It gets on your body and your clothes. It's just amazing the power of aroma and how it seeps into everything. Now, if you're from the country like I am, and you don't even really have to be from the country sometimes, but close to it, and you're going 70 miles an hour down the road sometimes, and all at once you look at each other in the car and go, skunk, I smell a skunk. Now, think about that. You're in an enclosed car going 60 miles an hour or whatever down the road, but you can smell that skunk because it's so powerful. It's come inside the car. So aromas are powerful. So what does this all have to do with putting on the fragrance of Christ, this great story? It says they did not have the smell of fire on them. That God so supernaturally delivered them, they didn't have that. But I see a wonderful spiritual picture in this. And the only way I know how to say it, Kirk, is how many times I see people in life and... They've gone through, by the way, what does the, you know, these guys went through a fiery trial, right? What does the New Testament say? It says, Beloved, in 1 Peter 4 12, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial. So the trials of life that we go through are very similar to what they went through, literally. In other words, it's a burning experience. And you know what? God gets us through that experience. But sometimes people have the smell of that experience still on them. Because it could be 10 years later, maybe they went through a fiery trial and they lost a job or, or maybe lost a marriage or, or maybe you know someone died that was close to them or something happened that was difficult and, and they still are living in the defeat of that 10 years later. Yeah. That's that's that that's what this means. This is this idea. They didn't have the smell of that experience on them. They had the victory of that experience in their life. Oh, Pastor, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Happens in the church, mm-hmm. happens in people's homes, in their marriages, business. Yes. I mean, there's so many times that people, it's like you and I were talking about earlier, they're known by their defeat. 
Yes, exactly. You know, they're not known by the victory that they had. And, and it's not a bad thing if someone went through something to help mentor people out of those type of situations. Mm-hmm. But when you rehearse yes, and you keep revisiting yes. that story and you can't go beyond that story, it's when the pain is more than the victory. Yes, That's when you are not known exactly. by your victory. You're known by your defeat. Yes, Even if you had a form of victory, you're still living within your defeat because you haven't allowed the victory to overshadow the defeat. That is, you know, I always say it this way, and in a moment of real truth, think about your life and think about when people look at you. And if you've gone through something in your life, do they think about that defeat in your life, that difficulty, that trial, that problem, that whatever? Or do they think, wow, this person's overcome that. This person's living beyond that. I know you, you look at somebody, uh, you know, they've lost a, they lost a spouse or they lost a, you know, this tragedy happened in their life of some kind, and it's 10 years later. Yes. And you're saying, oh, I feel so sorry for them. And if people think of that when they think of you, you, you're, you're not, you haven't got to the victory yet. Now, listen, I have all, I'm a pastor. I walk with things, this, these type things with people all the time, and I've seen some incredible tragedies that are just beyond words that people have to face. And your tragedy is, is difficult. Your trial, your fiery trial you've been through is difficult. But God leaves you here and got you through that, not so that you might still smell of the smoke of that fiery trial, That's but that right. you might speak of the victory of that trial later. And so I think one of the great ways to judge that, Kirk, is that when you think, and, and you know we all know someone like that. You're, mm-hmm. You think of someone, and the first thing you thought is you think sympathy for them for what they went through. And, you know, that's good, but yet at some point you want people to get over it. I've, I've, I've walked with people through grief. Um, you know, and grief comes in many ways. You don't just have to lose a person. You can lose a job. You can lose a ministry. You can lose things like that. Uh, that are, You go through grief, too. And what you want to do as a counselor is that everybody's different, and everybody has to walk through it in their own way, but you don't want them to get stuck. And when I find someone getting stuck, that's when I want to nudge them to say, have you thought about this? And it's not just, oh, woe is me. Let's just begin to think about what God wants to do to, to get you better. Because, I, you know, that this is life. And, and you know, it smells bad when you've got people who've got fire coming off of them, you know, the, or the smoke of uh, smell coming off of them. And, and in a figurative way, we, we're thinking that when we think of what bad things happen to them. How much better is it to say this? Wow, that person was handed such a terrible ordeal. And look at the joy. Look at the power and the victory in their life. Think of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Jonah is a wonderful example. He gets thrown into the sea, swallowed by a whale because of his disobedience. Mm-hmm. He decides to repent, do what God says, goes to Nineveh, preaches, and then what's he do? He goes right back to the vomit that he was spewing, murmuring and complaining against God's grace and mercy for a people he did not like. And so because of that, he sat in misery Mm -hmm. watching the grace of God being demonstrated on the the people Mm -hmm. that he considered his own enemies. Yes. And we have a choice. Yes, we can walk in victory for a moment, but then fall right back into the season of this, you know, discontent, regret, mm-hmm. you know, hopelessness, you know, defeat. Or we can say, you know what? It's done. Yes. I cast my cares upon Christ. Yes. I will take upon his burden upon me and put my burden on him and let him carry it. Just like the scripture says, it says, you know, cast your burden on me and then take upon 
take my cross. Yes. And I'll, you know, and carry my cross. So he, he's telling us that what he has is very light and he'll take all of our heaviness and he mm-hmm. wants us to live in that victory. Yes. I think if you, you know, when you're talking to people on a very practical level and you say, well, how do I get over this? How yes. do I get, well, you know, you know, and I can put a time, I'll say 10 years, you know, something, you know, you know the time, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, some people I see can go through grief fairly rapidly. Other people it takes longer. The key is you're moving. You're not stuck and that you find some victory in your life. You know, I've had, how many times I've had to look at somebody and say, where's your victory at? You know, where where is the where have you gotten over this? Where has God given you something where you're able to be positive and and you know in in that way? And I, I think that has to be a work of God's grace in your life. Definitely. But it has to be also some courage on your part to say, I'm not going to sit on the couch anymore in my thoughts. I'm not going to just you know keep brooding on this. I'm going to find some victory. I, I had a powerful moment. Uh, I was preaching on, on these things recently in the pulpit and. You know, I know, what I'm telling you right now is known for a long time. Obviously, it's a scriptural truth, and we've preached on different examples of this. I've preached on the Hebrew children before and talked about it. But I was talking about the unique thing that not only did they not have the smell of fire upon them, but they also, there was only one thing that burned while they were in the fire. That's right. And that was what they had wrapped their arms and their bodies with to keep them from running away. And so the only thing that really happened through that fiery trial was they got rid of the bondage that was there. When that hit me, and it's such a simple truth, but you, you and I both know that there is a, there's a time when it just becomes real. God pour, imparts it into your spirit. It gets grafted in. You, you know that truth. And it hit me even while I was preaching. And I looked at my wife on the front row, and I said, you know, there was a particular trial that we went through in our life, and she knew what I was talking about when I mentioned some more about it. I didn't have to tell the story here, everybody, but I'd gone through it, and I said, you know, for the first time, I feel like I'm thankful because the great thing that happened was God used that fiery trial to free me of men's opinion of me, to free me of a denominationalism that was tightening its its grip and squeezing the you know spiritual life out of me. He used that to free me out of a church government that that was man-centered, that would keep my gifts from never being able to be used fully. Yep. Uh, there's so many things. And when I started thinking about that, I got so incredibly, if you know me, when I preach, I mean, I got I got free and, and in the moment of telling about getting free. And I just got out and started thinking about what was behind me and what now was for. And so there was just a whole new measure of, of freedom in my life. So it's a revelation that comes from God. but it, it And so we go back to talking about aroma and smell. This smells good. This smells good to God. And because God did that, God He was able to bring you through something difficult, and it smells good to others. Others look and say, "Wow, if He can get through that, or if God can do that in His life, surely He can do things in my life uh, as well." There, there's some other uh, ones in Scripture that are really good to look at because I, 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 you know, use the one of the three Hebrew children. But real quickly, there's one in Leviticus chapter two that uh, I love because uh, it says about all the offerings they made in the Old Testament to God. And as they made this on the altar with fire, it says this in Leviticus 2.2, a sweet aroma was released to the Lord. Now, they're using what we call anthropomorphic language when you ascribe human qualities to God. But, you know, how else are we going to know that God smells, God laughs, God cries, God's all these. We use this to describe that quality to him. And so here's this picture of God. And he's opening his nostrils and receiving that burning 
sacrifice on the altar in in into you know his nostril and he's pleased it's a it's a sweet aroma to him now you say what's that got to do with us today because that was the old testament when they put brought bulls and goats to church and and burned them before the lord we don't do that today well do we i always like to point out that the book of hebrews says we have an altar I'm passionate about this because I think that's what the church, I've got a message I preach on, the, the modern church has lost the altar. And you say, oh, the altars are Old Testament. No, no, no. Hebrews says, we have an altar. In the New Testament, we have an altar. And here's one of the sacrifices. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, what, that, what are you going to do? That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in the Lord, which is your reasonable form of worship. That fits the whole context of 2 Corinthians about the Roma. Because Paul said, I've been, I've been uh, uh, you know, I've surrendered to the king. The king has conquered me. Yes. And now I'm in his train as a servant. And, you know, and as a servant, as one who has chosen, here it is, chosen the spirit over the flesh. And that is releasing a sweet aroma to the nostrils of God. You know, one of the things that keeps coming to mind is the, when we read in the word about the woman who breaks the alabaster jar yes. at Jesus' feet. Yes. And how the yes. whole room was filled with the yes. fragrance. And yes. she, in her sacrifice, released an aroma to God. And I think that fits very well here because when we release our praise, we're yes. releasing an aroma. She made a sacrifice financially. Yes. We, like Paul said, make a living well, sacrifice good. with ourselves, with our body, because we're laying our will, our desire down, and praising God. And unfortunately, in many churches today, we hear them making praises that they want to hear, but what God is asking mm. for is a praise that He desires to hear. Yes. And so what we need to turn back to is a, God, what do you want me to praise you with today? And it needs to be, God, how do you want me to praise you? Should I sit quietly before you? Should mm. I lift out a song? Do you want something that's spontaneous? Do you want an old hymn? It doesn't have to be what I want or you want all the time. And then God doesn't mind us singing a song that we know. Mm-hmm. But it's what does he want to hear? Yes. It's about him. And that's one of the things that she did. Is She said, it's not about me. I'm going to take a year's worth of my wages and I'm going to break it out. And when yeah. she broke it out, what happened? There was no turning back because she broke the jar. Well, that's, you know, the book of Hebrews. Matter of fact, the, the Bible very clearly, and I won't go through them in our time together, but the Bible talks about five uh, very clear spiritual sacrifices. One of them we make, the one you're talking about, is a sacrifice of praise. Yes. So what's a sacrifice of praise? It's when you you don't feel it, you know, because you're in it. And it's yes. not fun, but you say, you know, I know God. I know he's got a good track record. His credit's good with me. I can praise him on credit because he's always going to come through. That's right. And so when you begin to praise God, even when you're in the middle of something, that is releasing an aroma of sacrifice to God that he's well pleased with uh, in his people. The story you're talking about with uh, uh, in the New Testament, I think of the one with Mary in John chapter 12. And Mary comes in, and, you know, the whole story is all about how the disciples, and mainly Judas, gets all upset because we didn't keep that money and use it for the poor. You know, every time... You do a sacrifice of praise. Every time you truly, oh, I, I, oh, this will preach. This is true. Every time you truly praise God, there's going to be critics among people that shouldn't be critics. That's people right. that are the people of God. And they'll <laughs> criticize your praise. You know, I, I've had times in church where, you know, I, I'm typically a pretty brain, brainy, reserved uh, nerd, you know. 
but man sometimes it'll just hit you and and you just go crazy you know i might shout and run i might you know i don't you know do so and every time you do that you see someone out there looking at you kind of funny like oh my oh, goodness yeah. that's not very dignified but they don't know just like the disciples didn't know and the pharisees in the other story didn't know when the girl broke the box so they don't know what all she's been forgiven of much forgiven much love and when you get set free by god you don't really care because you know what i didn't come to church to impress you with my praise i came to church to praise god and i'm not really worried about you know you know you're thinking of me i want to make sure i'm pleasing to him and what i do king david perfect example we've talked about this before King David brings the Ark of the Covenant in, completely goes nuts, according to his wife. Mm. She's like, you've made a fool of yourself before all That's these women. It. What do you think? And he's like, see ya, Mike, yeah. Mikhail. I mean, yeah. he never goes back and sees her again at that point. He says, I will be crazy yes. before my God. I will worship him lavishly. Why? Because he had been through some things. Yes. He oh. had... He Ten had, years yes. running from Saul, and he's finally king. And the thing is, he never gave up. He kept pressing into God the entire time, yes. even in the hard moments. Even at one point, you see all of his men want to kill him because, you know, an army had come against him when they were off at war. And he's like, oh, Lord, lift me up. But yes. he, he still turns to God, even yes. in the moment when people are looking to kill him. Yes. He's like, but God... You are my God. You are my Savior. You know, and he completely enraptures himself in God to the point to where he changes the paradigm in his atmosphere. That's that that passage with David in Second uh, Samuel six is just incredibly powerful. He's finally become king over all the land, and he's yes. you know as as Kurt described, he comes in, and you know he he took off his outer garments down to you know we we might even say underwear, but down to his plain linen ephod. And so basically what he's doing was he was stripping off any kingly regalia that he had on him. Yes. And the Bible says he whirled before the Lord. He danced before the Lord. Well, his wife at home, you know, she and I love what he said because he said this to her when she said, oh, how lovely you looked out there dancing. She was all into religion, all into what it looked yep. like. She was Saul's household. She's the old system. She, you know, she didn't know anything about the freedom and victory that, that you know, Kirk was talking about that he had experienced. But here's his response to her. He said, you know, I'm going to even be more undignified than right. what you saw today. And he said, because I did not dance before the matings. I didn't, you know, in other words, I wasn't worried. I was dancing before the Lord. And he received my my worship and, and my praise. And, you know, that we, we that there's such a powerful revelation in that story because, you know, uh, it says that she, you know, did not have a child. It does not say she was barren until her... Uh, you know, the rest of her life. It says she did not have a child. You say, what's the difference? Well, I think there's a difference because oh, yes. we preachers tend to always say, well, God struck her barren. No, that's not what it says. It just basically says she didn't have a child. I believe what happened is she lost the presence of her king. Her that's husband, right. the king, did not uh, uh, join the marital bed with her, you know, ever again. So she lost the the favor and intimacy with the king. And for people who begin to make fun of someone else's praise, you know, they 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 are putting themselves in a position in opposition to Jesus Himself, That's where right. He's not going to be close to them. He's not going to be intimate with them. They're not going to know the joy and pleasures of walking, you know, with the King. And 
And you see that happen all the time. When we went through the worship wars in the 80s, some of you old enough for 90s, I guess I should say, some of you are old enough to know some of the traditional churches that we went through that. And we saw that all the time. People who would look down their nose at other people's praise, but it all comes back to you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what it's caused. When I see somebody, the Bible says this. This Bible says, he led them out with joy. Talking That's about right. children of Israel out of the bondage. Listen, anybody that has the joy of the Lord on them, anybody that's releasing crazy praise to the Lord, they've been led out of something. I said this about a, a, the other night with a couple uh, you know, that I was talking to, and I said, I don't know your wife's story, but she's got freedom all over her. She's been led out of something. And he looked at me, and she looked at me and said, we'll have to tell you our story one time. So I know that. I know if you're if you're free in praising God, you, you, you're free over something. God sets you free of doing something. Now getting back to our aroma here again. So when you praise God in that way, when you release that sacrifice of praise, uh, you're you're bringing a sweet aroma to God, praising Him in the midst of, of the difficulty. I want to mention one final one uh, today, Kirk, because uh, another great story in the Bible is Lazarus, oh, uh, yes. the great friend of Jesus. Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in Bethany, which is real close to Bethlehem, and any time, uh, excuse me, real close to Jerusalem, and every time Jesus was in Jerusalem, he would stay with them. They were his friends. You know, the story of John chapter 11, Lazarus gets sick. They get word to Jesus. Why? Because they've seen Jesus heal people, you know, from the sickness, and they thought, well, he loves Lazarus. That's his friend, and he's sick. You know, get, tell Jesus, right. and he'll come and heal him. When the word came to Jesus, you know the story, Jesus said, we're going to stay here. And the disciples could not figure out why he would not go, and for four days he tarried. In the meantime, Lazarus died. And they buried him. And so finally Jesus shows up and the brokenhearted Mary and Martha come out and, you know, Lord, if you'd have been here, you would have healed him. We don't understand, but we love you. You're the Lord. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. She goes, oh, I know the last resurrection, but we wanted him to be healed now. And Jesus said, take away the stone from the tomb. Now, real quickly, you know, in that age, that time, in that place, they took a body that died. They didn't have the embalming techniques or refrigeration like we have today, and they and they weren't pickled like we are That's with all the preserves. Say. Is that That's what you're what about to say? say? You know, they, they, <laughs> they didn't preserve. You know, did you know? Can I throw that little thought in there? I had a funeral director tell me that you know, used to, 50s, 60s, 70s, you had to keep a body that had died on ice or, or refrigerated, or it'd start de decomposing quickly. Today, they say we don't even hardly need refrigeration because we're eating so much bad food with preservatives in it. I mean, just watch the, the documentary on the McDonald's hamburger that they set oh, out yeah. on the table, and one year later, it looks just like it did a year ago sitting right there on the table. So, you know, that's just, that's another story. You know, another, that's a rabbit to, to, to chase there. But, but look at this. Jesus says, take away the stone. I went out and they said, "Well, Lord, he's been in there for four days." And and I and I love what they said in the King James version, the old in these and thou's version. They said, "Well, Lord, behold, he stinketh," you know. And uh, they they knew his body had already decomposed. So what would they do? They'd put a body inside a cave. In this place, it was a cave. I've stood there. It's actually a cave, and uh, or it may be a, well, like where Jesus was, something that's been hewn out, cut out of a mountain. But they'd put the stone in front of it uh, because the smell would be terrible. And then as soon as the body had decomposed, they'd go back in and take the bones, put them in a box called an ossuary, and put it on the, you know, in the, the area where they, where they did that, where they memorialized them. And uh, they, they would be there. So they're telling Jesus, Jesus, we if we roll away that, he stinks. And Jesus spoke and said, Lazarus, 
And I always make this point. He said, Lazarus, and it was almost as if he said, Lazarus and only Lazarus. Because if he said, come forth to the, right. the grave, every one of them would come out of there. But, but he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out. He's still bound hand to foot with a grave cloth, but he's very much alive. And, you know, God supernaturally spoke life to him like only God can do. And immediately his tissues were regenerated and there was no smell of death on him. And you know what our temptation is today, Kirk, is there's so many activities in life that we can choose to be associated with death when we choose to be associated with sinful activities. And when we ever do that, there's death in our life. And we need the Lord of life speaking to us, not only when we get saved initially and enter the kingdom, but constantly in our life that we don't, in this lawless age, get caught up with all the things of death and not experience the aroma of the new life of Christ that is always on us. So this aroma is choosing the life of God over death. One great illustration in that is that you see the church at work there. Because here's what happened. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus came out, and it, you know, he was bound. You know, They wrapped him with the grave clothes, so he was bound. But he was very much alive. But then Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, Loose him and let him go. That's right. Now, there it is. Only God, only Jesus Christ can give you life. He can, I can't give you spiritual life. I can't. I don't have that power, that authority. Only God can redeem a soul. Only God can bring someone from death to life. Only God can get you out of a deathful situation of entanglement of sin. God speaks life. But when you come out, he tells the church, now disciple him to get the grave clothes off. Now go. That's what we do. That's what the church does. That's what friends, Christian friends do. They help you quit being around that death at all. God's given you the new life within. And then he speaks, again, there's an aroma. So think about what we've said. We've said an aroma that chooses victory over defeat. And three Hebrew children, no smell of smoke on us, just the victory of what God has brought us through. Uh, That chooses uh, the spirit over flesh, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it brings a sweet aroma to God when we choose any time to live for God rather than the flesh. And then, of course, the, the last one there, when, you know, in Lazarus, we're choosing life over death. And all three of those, and there are many others in Scripture, I always say, but all three of those connected to a smell, let us know that there's an aroma that's pleasing to others and to God uh, as well. That's very much true. The other thing that I would like to add to that is we don't want to get stuck in that fragrance of death. Yes. The first thing that comes to my mind with the fragrance of death is the correlation of how hard that stench is to get out. Yes. It's almost like cigarette smoke that gets stuck in your car or in a furniture, you know, some piece of furniture. I mean, you will go to great lengths to get that out. But you know what? With Christ, it's like taking it to that special cleaner that has that special chemical that can strip (laughs) it out. And what is he stripping out? All the particles that Mm. are the smell. So when we come to God and we allow ourselves to be that living sacrifice, he washes over us. Mm-hmm. removing the stain of sin, removing the stain that causes that stench out of our lives so that he can make a, su- a sweet aroma to him. That's, that's good. So come back to our scripture, what he just said and what we've talked about in these things. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us come on. diffuses. we got a diffuser in our home. You know, you put those sweet oil smells in there and it diffuses 
And so it says, what does it do? It diffuses, I'm, I'm looking at my passage here, the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Amen. So that's what it's about. That's the fragrance there. And these are three of many examples in scriptures of way when we choose to live with God, how it becomes a sweet smelling uh, uh, a smell to God himself and to those that are around us as well. Kurt, we've gone a long time. We'll we close have. us out here tonight. Well, guys, it's great for you to come out here with us. You enjoy it. Uh, don't forget to hit the like button if you enjoyed the content. Come back next week. We're going to post again, and uh, we'll see you then. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you again. See you then.